Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. I have not forgotten John chapter 10, and we will be returning to that text. But the Lord just laid on my heart this past week a message which is going to require more than one Sunday. And since next Sunday is our evangelistic Sunday, that Sunday when we preach specifically the gospel to the lost, I need today to prepare for next Sunday. So we will be returning to Luke chapter 16 next week, Lord willing. And I ask that you keep in prayer uh, even now for that sermon as well as this morning's. Uh, next week we will be looking at the cries of the damned, which is the rich man. But I do look forward to returning to John chapter 10 and speaking on that divine sovereign calling of Christ to his sheep. But this morning let us uh, look at Luke chapter 16. Verse 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask your blessings upon the reading of thy word, and I pray that, Lord, you would guide and direct us this morning that we might be able to understand even more deeply the, the divine subject which you've laid upon our hearts. I pray, Father, Lord, that in this present time, Lord, Father, we give it serious consideration. And in doing so, I pray that our hearts and our minds as thy children would be drawn evermore to heaven and drawn and away from the things of the earth. May we be reminded this morning that this life is but a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. How soon, how soon does death reach our doorsteps? It even looketh in our windows and it is into our palaces. I pray, dear Father, that you would be honored and glorified this morning in lifting up your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he might draw men unto himself. We ask these things now in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> there was a certain rich man and there was a certain beggar. It's amazing how so many People will seek debates and controversies over certain portions of Scripture. Some would debate whether this was a parable or whether it was an actual event, since our Lord doesn't call it a parable, uh, which debate I will not bother you with this morning. I simply want us to look at what our Lord is speaking about in our topic, and our subject. Our Lord has in these verses many great and blessed truths that we as God's children should consider, but also those of you that know not Christ. The Bible said there was a certain rich man and there was a certain beggar. The lives of these two men in this present world was as diverse as the night is from the day. One <laughs> fared sumptuously every day. The other was a beggar desiring merely the crumbs that fell from his table. One was clothed in purple and fine linen, and the other one was full of sores, where the dogs came and licked his wounds. From all outward appearances, the rich man was to be envied, while the beggar was to be pitied. We must be careful that we don't judge people by outward appearances. For all things in this present life are but temporal. 
The riches of the rich man, as well as the poverty of the beggar in this present world, was both fleeting and temporal. For with the coming of death, the riches of the rich man would vanish, while the poverty and pain of the beggar would end. You see, why is that sufficient? So many people are in a haste to get to the rich man in hell that they forget to look at the preparation of the things that happened before time, which is, I believe, very important for us as God's people. The things of this temporal life vanish at death. Listen to me. They vanish at death. You can be the richest man in the world, or you could be the most beggar, the biggest beggar of the world, living in the greatest poverty, but those things end. The riches and the pain, there's an end to them. Death brings an end to both of those. James brings us to think about this when he says, what is your life? He doesn't say, what is your present situation? He said, what is your life? He's engulfing everything about our life, whether it's rich or poor. He said, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time. He doesn't even say smoke. He says a vapor. A vapor is something that you have when you boil water. It just it, You see it and then it quickly vanishes. It vanishes quicker than smoke. He said, your life is nothing but a vapor that appeareth for a little time. A very little time. And then he said, vanish away. It appeareth for a very little time. Beloved, nothing in this present life is eternal. Listen to me. Nothing in this present life is eternal. I was reminded this last week, and we'll look into it more in a few more minutes, but I was reminded this last week of the significance of death when we had someone in our nursing home pass that was old, reached the age of 85, I believe, 86. And then another man I spoke to had to do a funeral for a baby that was three months old. When I asked him how the funeral went, he said it was tough. He asked me, for my advice as a pastor of 40 years, and I spoke to him a little bit and gave him some best advice I can. It's hard to even give advice for the funeral for anyone, let alone a child of that young age. And the next day when I asked him how it went, he said it was very difficult. And I said, yes, they are. He said, well, what made it more difficult is they allowed the mother to hold the baby while, I was in, while she was in front of me while I preached the sermon. And he said that was very distracting to me that that mother was holding her the corpse of her dead baby in her arms while he preached the sermon. And I couldn't imagine something being more difficult than that. Even as Christians, we ignore this subject. And yet it's one we should never ignore. What is your life? It is even a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanish away. Again, whether we have the greatest riches in the world or you're suffering the greatest pain. Listen to me, this is how Christians should look at life. Whether we're blessed with the comforts and joys that God gives us for this present life or whether God has for some reason sovereignly ordained that we should suffer pain and agony. It's all but temporal. It's here for a little time and it's gone. Death puts an end to all of that. Death put an end to the rich man's wealth. Death put an end to the beggar's pain and sorrow. Death puts an end to that. Therefore, I say, set not your heart 
on the riches of this present world, nor worry or fret for the pain and sorrows in this present life. For all these things appear only for a little time, and then they shall vanish away. You see, one of the greatest blessings of being a child of God is to be reminded and remember that everything in this life, the good and the bad, are nothing but a vapor. It's here momentarily, just a minute, a fleeting moment, and it's gone. As Christians, we should realize this life is but temporal. There's nothing here everlasting in this life. We don't look for joy and happiness and contentment in this present life. We look forward to an eternal life. So no matter what God's sovereignty and providence might bring along our way, we're content in saying that my life is merely but a vapor, and one day death shall put an end to either my riches or my pain and sorrows. But death shall put an end to it. Other lives in this present world were very different, yet there was one thing, one event, which happened to them as well as to all men. He might have been rich, Lazarus poor, different as the day is from the night, but there's one thing that happened to both the rich and the poor, and it's an event which happens unto all men. It's an event which has no respect for a riches rich man's wealth, nor pity for the beggar's pain and suffering. Listen to me. I want to describe to you this morning the terrors of death, or death itself. Because I believe it's a subject many Christians ignore. They just simply pass by it. And yet death still has a sting, Paul says. Death has no respect for the rich man's wealth. And death has no pity for the beggar's pain and suffering. We're reminded, reminded in the last few days of the depravity of sinful man as we see yet another war breaking out and innocent lives being lost and women and children being killed. This family had taken their three-month baby to the doctor and everything appeared to be well and fine with the child. And they went out to the car and placed the baby in the car and had walked around the car, was getting in the trunk and came back to the car to get in it. And the baby was lifeless and she just suddenly died. They couldn't revive her for no absolute reason. And believe me, I'm sure that those parents were asking the ever greatest question. Why? Death doesn't care. It doesn't care. It comes at God's appointed time, of course. It's a fixed date, as we'll see in a few minutes, but death doesn't care. It doesn't care if you're young, you're old, you're rich, you're poor. You're healthy or you're sick. The beggar and the rich man died. That happens to all men. Job 21 says this, One dieth in his full strength, being wholly at ease and quiet. His breasts are full of milk, and his bones are moistened with marrow. And another dieth in the bitterness of his soul, and never eateth with pleasure. They shall lie down alike. Job says, they shall lie down alike in the dust, and the worms shall cover them. Isn't it amazing how the world tries to beautify death? Not so much here in America as, as they do in Germany, but in Germany they go overboard. They do as much as they can to beautify death. Their graveyards are sometimes the most beautiful place you'd want to be in the city. I mean, there's trees and flowers and gardens, and they beautify it. In fact, it's lovely to sit in a graveyard in Germany. Everything's beautiful. They actually plant flowers on the graves. 
They plant, plant brushes and, and stuff next to the graves. There's big old trees. They give you shade, and there's benches everywhere. Every 10, 15 feet, there's benches. There's walkways. The grass is always kept perfectly green. And there's, there's faucets everywhere so you can get water and put, flower, put water on your, on your loved one's grave and flower, water the flowers. It's a lovely place to be. Often I took walks to the graveyard because it was pleasant. For man is afraid of death. He's afraid of dying. There's a finality in death that makes man fear. One fared sumptuously every day, the Bible says, the other full of sores and hungering. One fared sumptuously every day, the other full of sores and hungering. Yet the scriptures proclaim death put an end to both these things. So you see, it, it's like I said, when Christians look at death, we should be looking at death as something being, and I'm getting ahead of myself, as being more of an ambassador that ushers us into the presence of God. The rich man, because he didn't look at something like that, death was a king of terrors. As we'll look in a few minutes, Lazarus died and was carried away by angels. The rich man died and was buried. You see the finality of that? He was buried. Nothing about being carried away. A Christian looks at death as something that releases them from this present life. And enables them to enter into the next life. Because of Christ, and I'm getting ahead of myself, because of Christ, we have no more fear of this death that tormented us our whole entire lifetime. Yet for those that know not Christ, death is something dark and dreary and gloomy, dreadful and terrorizing. It put an end to everything the rich man had. but for Lazarus to put an end to his pain and his agony. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but I've noticed over my past 40 years as a Christian, the older I get, the more I long to be delivered from this present world and all the wickedness and evil and sin. It's almost as though as we grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he increases our longing to go home. He increases our our love for heaven and eternity. And the closer we get to death, the more inviting it appears to be. I don't I don't believe that Lazarus feared anything about death. He was content have merely the crumbs. Dogs licked his sores. How do you know that, preacher? Well, look at what happened when he carried him away into Abraham's bosom and he sat there and he was enjoying himself. He was rejoicing, Abraham says. Now he gets to be filled. And... Beloved, since the entrance of sin into the world by Adam, death, Romans says, is passed upon all men. All men. We're all dying. Do you know that? Every single day, every single heartbeat brings us closer to death. If the Lord doesn't return, we're all dying. We, come, we, we, we go from the cradle to the grave. It is appointed that a man wants to die, but Ecclesiastes said that uh, there's a time to be born, a time to die. That didn't even mention about living, but we're, we're born to die. And yet we give little, so, so little thought to death. We give so little thought to, even Christians, we give so little thought to death. We get so consumed with the things of the world and the needs of this temporal life that we spend very little time thinking about death. Because I, I'm afraid there's still that little bit of terror in there when we think about death. There's a finality when you think about death. I believe some Christians still have remnants of that fear, that terror, Hebrews talks about, that keeps mankind in bondage all their life. I'd like to encourage you this morning as God's children to make friends with that. Like the old preacher says, if we would befriend death now, 
we wouldn't consider him a stranger when he appeared, but as a friend. He'd be a welcome friend. I think our thoughts on death also prove exactly where we are spiritually, if we are at all. What better way to prove my love and my faith and my assurance in Christ and the sacrifice than considering my death? What is if I die today? Shall I be ushered into the bosom of Abraham or in heaven or shall I be buried and lift up my eyes in hell like the rich man? You see, this is just not a one-time event. This is happening throughout the world all the time. As a matter of fact, every minute of the day, you know 106 people die every minute? The few minutes I preached this sermon, 50, 40, 50 people have died already in the world. Probably more than that with this war going on and diseases and everything. People dying every minute. Every minute. Every minute. 106 people every minute, according to statistics. That's a lot. 6,000 per day or per hour. 154,000 per day, 56 million per year. That's a lot of deaths. That's a lot of dying. And yet we go through this life never considering it. I think as Christians we're missing something when we ignore this. That's why I wanted to spend time on this this morning for Christians that we would... Seriously consider it. And for those of you who know not Christ, you better seriously consider it. Jeremiah said death has come up into our windows. And it's entered into our palaces. One event happens to them all. Entered into our windows. What's he mean by that? Death is looking in our windows all the time. And it came to pass that the beggar died, and the rich man also died. It's one thing they had in common. One thing we all have in common. We can debate about doctrine. We can debate about different opinions. We can debate about politics. We can debate about a lot of things. But one thing is non-debatable. If the Lord doesn't come back, we're all going to die. Death. It's going to happen to all. And if it is, why shouldn't we give it more consideration than we do? Most of us here, or a lot of us here, have read the Puritans or Reformers. At least a lot of them. Church history. Even in the Scriptures. Read those men who were coming close to death and read their testimony of how they felt about death itself. It wasn't simply because they were just living their life and then suddenly death shows up the doorstep and say, oh, death's here and I can go. Look at their testimony. Look at the history of it. It was a thing they considered constantly. It wasn't just something they considered when it was close by them. It was something they considered constantly. They were constantly aware that they were a living corpse, if I can use those terms for lack of a better one. They both died. Put an end to his riches, put an end to his sorrow. What a blessing. Put an end to his sorrow. Yet, beloved, our text teaches us that death is not an end of itself. It's merely the threshold, the gateway, which leads to eternity. If all things ended with death, then it would make no difference how we live, right? Jehovah Witnesses believe that if you're not a Jehovah Witness and you die, you just go out of existence. Well, that's biblically incorrect and heretical. Every man has a soul that lives on in eternity. 
if death, if everything ended at death, then it would make no difference. But everything don't end at death. Death is merely the threshold. It's merely the gateway which leads to eternity. For though both men died, like we said, one was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom while the other was buried. And the hell lifted up his eyes. What a contrast. Not only did their life in this present world, was it diverse as day and night in eternity. It was infinitely and eternally different. He's buried. I, I love the wording the Holy Scripture, the Holy Spirit put in this in this passage of Scripture. The beggar died and was carried by the angels of Abraham's bosom. That speaks of tenderness, intimacy, love, care, compassion. He was carried. He was carried. <laughs> carried by the angels. Makes you kind of wonder if that's what happens to every child of God who dies. We carried by the angels. Oh, I don't believe in those angel things. Well, here he was carried by the angels. Carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And yet when you read of the rich man, it appears so sad that the rich man also died. Three words. And was buried. Beloved, death is something that every man, woman, and child could should seriously consider. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but I want you to understand the fear of death is not why one should believe in Christ or seek salvation in Christ. Fear of death itself. I, I've known a lot of people that read this passage. I know a lot of people that are afraid of death. That's not salvation. Salvation is understanding and knowing that you're a sinner and you deserve eternal damnation, but it's God's mercy in Christ Jesus and the blood of Jesus Christ that saves its forgiveness of sins. It's not merely fear of death. You know what's amazing about this passage of Scripture? And, and I've heard people say about the uh, prodigal son, since there's no blood in there, in that passage, it can't be about redemption because there's no blood in there. Well, the word God is not used in the book of Ezra, right? Or Esther, one of the two? Does that mean God's not in the book? Man just wants to debate everything. But what's amazing about this passage of Scripture, you, 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 you read about their present lives in this world, and then when they die, one goes into Abraham's bosom, the other one goes to hell, and it doesn't tell you why. It doesn't, it doesn't tell you why Lazarus went to heaven. There's no blood in this text. The wealth of the rich man made him not a sinner. Nor did the poverty of the beggar make him a saint. But solely the unmerited mercy and grace of God in Christ Jesus. How do you know that? Because he would have never entered into Abraham's bosom were it not for the mercy and grace of God. Christ just, I don't want to use that word, but he just takes for granted that they understand that. You're not going to get there without the mercy and grace of God. It's amazing how Christ didn't waste his time with the debates. Like our dear brother said a few times when we were discussing Scripture, it is as though God didn't take out time to you know, consider what you want to debate about. I'm just going to tell you the way it is. <laughs> now, the wealth of the rich man didn't make him a sinner, nor did the poverty of the beggar, man, of the beggar make him a saint. It was the mercy and grace of God. It's amazing, though, when death came, and it came to pass that the beggar died. It's amazing that when death came, listen to me, it's amazing when death came, it was an ambassador of angels for one, and for the other, it was the king of terrors. He lifted up his eyes in hell. Lazarus was Abraham's bosom. What a, what a difference it made. Just death, with the coming of death, death was for one, an ambassador carried into the bosom of of Abraham, yet for the other one, death was something that carried him into the pits of hell. 
it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. The finality of that. You see, this is what we do as Christians when we stress the gospel. When we're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and we say it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Once you die, there's no coming back. There's no other way. Once you die, your eternal destiny is sealed forever. Once you die, you'll either be in Abraham's bosom or you'll be in hell. Once you die, there's no turning back. And yet death comes when it wants to. Not when we call it. And yet, we don't think about that. We don't consider that. We don't consider that each one of us in this room this morning is one heartbeat away from eternity, from death. One heartbeat away. Hebrews said the fear of death keeps sinful man in bondage his entire lifetime. You say, well, preacher, that's not true. A lot of people don't even think about death. It does. It keeps him in bondage. What do you mean by that? Man can never escape this enemy, this fear, this terror. Do you know that? Man can never escape it. He can pretend he does, (laughs) but he can never escape it. Do you know that? Though he makes every effort to ignore and forget it, its shadow follows and hovers over him his entire life. And sometimes it shows its ugly face when least expected. You're going through life, going through your daily routine, doing your job, paying your bills, worried about tomorrow, this or that, whatever. The phone rings. person on the other end gives you some terrible news. Someone you have loved, someone you love has died. You can never escape this. He's always there. And man, even though in his youth, if death doesn't choose to take him in his youth, and he exceeds, succeeds in ignoring it, and most young people do, most young people think that they're invincible. I'm going to live forever. I'm, I'm 12, I'm 15, I'm 21, I'm 25. I, I've got 40 years, 50 years to live yet. I mean, why should I even think about death? I've got a long life ahead of me. So does that three-month-old baby. So that 12-year-old that was shot. So there's that 15-year-old that got leukemia. Even though in his youth, even if he succeeds in ignoring it, let me tell you a secret. Age will quickly usher you to death's doorstop. You know that? You might ignore it now, but let me tell you something. Something's coming you wasn't thinking of. Age. And the older you get, the closer you realize how close you are to the doorstep of death. Now, you can't avoid it. You can't hide from it. You can't ignore it. You might be able to ignore it for a while, but it'll it'll show its face. Either the death of a friend, a loved one, family member, No, it's always there, and it's always knocking. It's always telling you and I, I'm still here, and I'm hovering over you. And one day, I'm going to claim you. One day, I'm going to get you. One day, I'm going to drag you down into the pits of hell if you're without Christ. One day, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to terrorize you. One day, I'm going to claim you. One of the things that Revelation says that Christ got when he finished his salvation for his people, he said he has the keys of hell and death. Carried by angels and buried. Which one's going to best describe you? 
you have hope, faith of being carried away because of Christ? Or are you afraid you're going to be buried? They lie you in that casket and they close the lid. They drop you in the ground and they throw dirt and earth upon you. You should be afraid. It's only natural. But what about the believer? Oh, you you got to understand for the believer it's different. <laughs> you remember when the Lord died, was in the grave, and they went into his grave and they looked in there and the linen was folded neatly, one at the foot and one at the head. Remember that symbol there? When the grave was busted open, Christ redeemed us from his power. When those linens were folded neatly, you know, you know what that was a symbol of? Somebody didn't go in there and clean up. When Christ was raised from the dead, he took the linen that they so quickly wrapped him in, and he took the time to neatly fold it and place it at the head and at the foot almost like the cherubims in the Old Testament on the mercy seat. And he put one at the head and one at the foot. What did he show? There's nothing here to fear. There's nothing here to see. He's not He's not here. He's not here. There's an empty grave. One thing I'm looking forward to when we get to back into John chapter 10 is that calling. You remember a certain calling in the book of John chapter 11 when someone was in the grave and Christ called him forth. You see, for the believer, death has no more fear, no more torment. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. <laughs> Hebrews 2, 14. For, much, for so much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood... He, him, he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death, listen to this, through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. There's a lot there, and time doesn't avail me to get into that, but you need to look at that. <clears throat> through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. Who has the power of death? The devil. But Christ destroyed him in place of his people, not in your place if you're not saved. You need to consider that. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on the seed of Abraham. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You see what Christ did for his own why do you think the resurrection of Christ is so important? I was talking to a lady this last week and pray for the nursing home because I'm preaching a series on, on the gospel of Christ on the cross and 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 I got I, I got pretty intense on Wednesday and 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 I, I hope and pray some of them were stirred. But I was talking to a lady afterwards and and she's telling me how confused she was and, and I told her I said, well, the problem of it is is because you don't know enough about Christ. You need to know. She thought it was all about her. She had to do this. She had to do that. Whatever. I said, you need to get in Scripture. You need to find out. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about Christ. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Christ. It's what Christ has done and what Christ continues to do. You see why Christians don't fear death? It's not because of anything we've done. It's what Christ has already finished. If we understood just merely a fraction of what he accomplished on Calvary, we only know a portion of it in Scripture. Believe me, there's infinitely more that we don't know yet. But wait till we get to heaven. There's infinitely more what Christ accomplished on Calvary. And most people are saying, well, he, he died, he was buried, he was raised again, and there's my eternal life. No, it's infinitely more than that. Do you know what he accomplished on Calvary? Not only the removing of our sins, bearing the wrath of God, but concerning the death and Satan, take this not lightly when he said, through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Christ has removed that.
and put in the heart of all His children peace and comfort and contentment. I like that verse in Ecclesiastes 9.2 says, For the living know they shall die. <laughs> I love, I always love that verse. The living, shall, the living know they shall die. Beloved, death is certain. It is the wages of sin. It's appointed by God, and its time is fixed. Look over at Job chapter 14 with me. I used this verse last week um, in the nursing home, and a few people was asking me questions later about it. But look at Job chapter 14. I want to show you something before we wind this down here. Look what Job says, chapter 14, verse 1. Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. That is a precise description of man. Now watch this. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. Almost like Ecclesiastes, huh? Time to be born, a time to die. He cometh forth as a flower. He's, he blooms. He's beautiful. Boom. He's cut down. You see the suddenness of death? Boom. Scripture always declares the suddenness of death. It's quick. Man's life is short. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. And dost thou open thine eyes upon such a one and bringest me into judgment with thee? Who can bring a clean thing out of unclean? Not one. Now watch this. Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. What's he talking about? Uh, Job is saying the time of man's death is set. Set. You know, you walk through the graveyards around here and you have these stones, these gravestones at every grave or most of them or a plaque or something with their name and the date and the time. And Picture it this way. In heaven, you and I all have a gravestone with your name on it and my name on it, the time we was born and the time of our death. And nothing in this world or in heaven shall ever change that. It's fixed. We don't know what day that is. We don't know what hour that is. We don't know what year that is, but it's fixed. God has set a boundary, a time. And each and every one of us, when that time arrives, we shall die. Shall it be quick and easy? Shall it be slow and painful? No one knows. But there is a set time for each and every one of us in this room. And that's something that we should be considering, not only as Christians, but more so if you're not saved. Because like I said earlier, it's appointed on a man who wants to die, and then the judgment. Dying without Christ, there's no turning back. So why would God tell us that? God would tell us that that we should consider state of our eternal soul. You remember that question the Lord asked in the Gospels which no mortal man could ever answer? What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, that's a twofold question no mortal man can answer because mortal man does not know the price, the value of a soul. Do you know that? He asked an impossible question. But he's the only one authorized to ask it. You say, why? No one knows the price, the value of an eternal soul except him who sacrificed himself for that soul. And let me tell you something. The value and worth of that soul is the very life of the Son of God. It took the Son of God to sacrifice himself on Calvary because the value of a human soul is that Christless. that priceless. If that don't stir the love of God in your hearts the believers, I don't know what I can do for you. The price of your soul, of my soul, is infinitely more than you and I could ever pay. It took the life of the very Son of God, the very Son of God, to purchase your bought with a price I'm bought with a price. And it was a high price. 
David, David gives us wisdom. And I'm winding this down. I am. He said, Lord, make me to know mine end. And the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. That's wisdom. Make me to know mine end. And the measure of my days, what it is that I might know how frail I am. Christians should always in their mind live, be living on the very verge of death. Do you know that? Are you following me? We should be living every day on the very borders, very verge, very edge of death. Always looking at it. Embracing it. Longing for it. Unless, that is, your treasures are in this world, then you don't want to even think about death because death, in death you lose everything. Remember the guy in the Gospels? Oh, look, I've gained so much. I'll build more barns and I'll put more into it and, and I'll be happy and prosperous and all that. And the Lord said, you fool, tonight your soul shall be called for you. And then who shall those things be? Both David and Joshua both said this phrase, and I've always liked it, I go the way of all the earth. David told Solomon, Solomon, I'm going the way of all the earth. What's he mean by everyone's going to die, and I'm going that way right now, Solomon. I'm going that way. But David spoke as though he's not afraid of it, neither to Miss Joshua. I'm going, I'm going that way. There's an old gospel hymn we used to sing on the streets, and I'm not really proud of it, but it was something to that effect. I'm going that way, and not that way. I'm going that way. Simplistic, but I'm going the way of all the earth. The psalmist said in Psalm 89, What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? No. If it's, if it's definite, if it's unavoidable, if we all have to face it, then why don't we face it more often? I believe our hymns and our psalms and our singing and our worship would be greatly enhanced if we thought more of this life ending and eternal life beginning. It says, Lazarus was carried by the angels to the bosom of Abraham. Here's God's promise to all those whom he's called, chosen, and redeemed. Hosea thirteen fourteen. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I preached on that once in German years ago. The scripture says there's a power in the grave. I will ransom them from the power. I will redeem them from death. Ransom, redeem. I will redeem them from death. O oh, death, I will be thy plague. So grave, I will be thy destruction. That's what we have in Christ. If it was, and still is, Satan who keeps men in fear all their lifetime because of death, shouldn't we as Christians rejoice over the matter that Christ has redeemed us from the power of the grave and ransomed us? Should we not as God's children spend time dwelling upon that time of departure. I remember when I was in Germany and come over to America to visit some people I ain't seen for a long time and I'm sure families you're the same way when loved ones come like her father and you got the day down and you're anxious about it. You're just waiting for that day to come and you're wanting it to be here. And You look at the, the time and the date. I'm flying on this day, on this departure, on this time I'll land here, and this and that. And You're excited about it and you're preparing yourself. And why don't we do that as Christians as more often? It's like, you know, it's there's nothing wrong or morbid about it, but everything good about it. 
And then as we contemplate that, let us as God's children take that same thought considering those who don't know Christ and who will die without Christ, knowing that they're not going to receive the same as a child of God, then let us urge them. Today is the day of repentance. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. You don't have tomorrow. You don't know if you had tomorrow. You don't know if you got five minutes. You don't know if you're going to walk out of this building today and walk across the street or drive down the road and something happened. You have no idea. I pray that we would spend more time contemplating this because for the Christian, it's a reason for joy, rejoicing and joy and Christ Jesus and what he's accomplished. Yet for the sinner, I pray that it would lead you to repentance and to Christ before it's too late. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for these words found in Luke chapter 16. I pray that, Father, you'd help us, Lord, as your children to consider these things. And Lord, I pray that, Father, they would enhance not only our worship, but our love for Thee. I pray that we'd meditate on what You did in delivering us from the grave, the power of that grave, and yet You delivered us from that. Lord, we have no reason to fear death anymore because we have You, who is the resurrection and the life. And You said, because we believe in You, we shall never die. Dear God, I pray that, Lord, you'd help us to reminisce on these things more often than we do. And, Father, I pray especially for those amongst us this morning who know not Christ. Lord, I pray that they'd be awakened by your Spirit to realize that, Father, Lord, death is looking in their windows and entering into their palaces. Father, I pray that, Lord, you'd stir their hearts up, Lord, with the thoughts of death, that they might search Christ. Lord, I pray that you draw them unto yourself. Lord, may you be honored and glorified in all that's said and done, for we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.